Jared Poland, throw nose, photo, dot, no, that's not right, that's, that's not who we are, who are we, I've lost all semblance of who we are, what we're doing here, this is the Existential UX podcast, that's not what we are, drunken existentialists, no, close, keep going, John Paul farts, this is the drunken UX podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Feenan. I'm your other other host, not Michael, also known as Aaron. <laughs> Hi, Aaron. You've Hi, been Michael. very helpful so far. I'm really looking forward to this episode. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> and how to draw out a joke that was already not funny when I started it, but <laughs> hey, just wait. I got a few more of those stupid intros in my head for next time uh everybody this is episode number 67 we're going to be talking about what we would do to improve amazon.com so we're going to be looking at the website breaking some things down and just giving some advice based on where we sit and if we were to build it or to come in and fix it what we would do it's not it's not sponsored but it would be so cool to be paid money to tell amazon why they suck yeah that's that would be awesome oh wait I have been. Uh, I I have on numerous occasions been on uh, uh, user testing panels for them, and mm. they pay you for that. I was on a Facebook user testing panel recently. Oh, I'm sorry. And Facebook gave me $75 to tell them about rooms. Neat. Yeah. Let's see. Oh, yeah. This episode of the Drunken UX podcast is brought to you by our friends over at NewCloud. So check them out at newcloud.com. Slash drunken UX, uh, and go go get an interactive map because you definitely need one. Get one for your house. That would be fun and interesting, and I bet you're the only person on the block that does it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, I would normally ask you what you're drinking right about now, but instead I think I'm going to ask you what you're eating. You're crunching cashews. away on something. What? Cashews. Oh, cashews. Mm-hmm. Cashew. What, what goes well with that drink-wise? Because it's summertime, and I have a two-gallon, like, plastic fridge rectangle thing with a little tap on the bottom. A cooler? It's a cooler, but it's not, like, the kind you put drinks into. It's the kind that holds liquid and then dispenses it. So I make, like, I make iced tea, put, like, lemon juice, sugar in it, etc. It's really good. But, How um, very southern of you. <laughs> so, well, we are almost southern New York, I think, so... <laughs> technically southern <laughs> uh i have um some bourbon mixed with iced tea i i'm not white trashing it tonight but it, it kind <laughs> of is so I'm, I'm drinking berry propel like the water the okay. flavored water with vodka <laughs> just poured it it's it's kind of like a an uncarbonated white claw i guess is i was gonna say it sounds like four loco it's yeah, it's just water and vodka and berry. It's like a flat wine cooler, I guess. I don't know. It's I'm I'm definitely not fancy tonight uh, by any stretch, and I'm, and it just it was easy. So I was like, I I was thirsty, and I'm fighting some allergies, and so I was like, well, I want to keep myself hydrated. I'll just pour some vodka in what I'm already drinking. I, I do shit like that, man. Uh, 
Folks, if you want to get started with us tonight, I want you to head over to cult.honeypot.io. This is an article from Ryan Lotta over there. Um, okay. Ryan Lotta? 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 Now, this is an article from a few months ago, actually. It came out in March. He's got an article called Catching Up and Burning Out. Hmm. And I read through it, and it really hit home, I think, on that message that we talk about. We, we hit on imposter syndrome more times than I can count at this point. Sure. And I think it's incredibly important for us to talk about. I think it's important for us to acknowledge and help people through, especially when they're new. And so he wrote up this article. And actually, before I dive into that, I want to give a shout-out just to honeypot.io real fast. This is unrelated entirely, but when I went to read the article, really they cool. have their cookie compliance pop up at the bottom of the page. And it is, I think, hands down, the best cookie compliance pop up I have seen to date. It's short, it's sweet, it's non intrusive. They give you all your options inside the pop up for necessary preference statistics, marketing cookies, and you can use only the selected ones, or you can tell them you're okay with everything. And they only have necessary cookies pre-selected. They don't try to... The only thing that they try to do that's the slightest bit tricky is the I'm okay with everything button is clearly more highlighted than the only use the selected button. To to be fair, though, like every other site who doesn't give you those granular options puts the button in the same place and doesn't give you any other choice. So yeah. I'd say I'd say Honeypot is like not doing worse. <laughs> this is it was hands down. If you want an example of that, go go check theirs out because I do. Mm -hmm. I I just wanted to acknowledge good stuff when I see it. So Ryan's article gets into this idea and Aaron, I love the fact how long have you been at your new job? Um three weeks, four weeks? This is uh no, a bit over a month now. Has it? Uh about six weeks. I'm so bad at time, actually, that I was in, in the car with a buddy of mine talking about his kids. And, I'm, and I was like, your kid's about eight years old, right? And he's mm -hmm. like, no, he's 12. <laughs> like, oh. that's, that's how bad I am with time. So off by just a hair, you know, 50%, whatever. Oh, my God. The reason why you came to mind for me on this is because the, the whole thing, this catching up and burning out, is all about somebody starting a new job, anybody starting a mm -hmm. new job coming into a new code base and having to go through this process of onboarding, right? We all, anytime you start yeah. a new job and in any kind of development, you have an onboarding process because you have to learn stuff. You have to learn the way that team works and it can be very consuming trying to get through all of that and trying to read constantly and figure out and yeah. know when the right point is to drop off. The risk is, you get so all consumed on trying to learn everything so that you can start that you start reading at night and you start worrying about whether or not you know the right things or the wrong things, um, whether or not you're bringing your bad habits to their code. And you can burn yourself out in that process mm -hmm. with his advice being at some point you have to just start coding. Yeah. Spend a couple minutes here, Aaron, I because I know you guys have something that I think was really interesting because I thought you were just doing it as part of onboarding, but it turns out mm -hmm. it's actually just the way you guys work, which is with what they call pair programming. Can you yes. explain like mm -hmm. how that helped your onboarding process at this new company and, and how it helps work in general? Yeah. So uh, my team is, if I had to ballpark it, I would say we probably have about 40 people 
on the team and there's and that our our team at large is split into like two smaller teams of about 20 people each and on every single day one of our uh one of our team people will put out the the schedule for that day the pairing schedule and it says which product streams you're going to be working on and who you're pairing with sometimes i get paired with like more experienced people on the team who have been on the project you know for years um this week i'm with a person who has been on the project only a little bit longer than i have maybe a couple months longer on this particular project but i'm like more experienced in terms of like total experience like my career experience both both are very different kinds of of experiences overall uh but but it's so good and the two things that i think it does really well at are ensuring that that you don't get stuck in the weeds of trying to figure out what the hell you're doing here's been my experience with onboarding at places one is that i have yet to see a team that prioritizes good documentation where you can actually study stuff uh, younger the younger the team is or if you're hired as part of like a hiring blitz or something chances are the people who were there before you were too busy closing tickets and like building stuff to actually go back and document things if you're lucky enough to be on a team that actually prioritizes onboarding well and bonus if they also recognize that onboarding takes time depending on the complexity of the product and the domain knowledge required it can take uh the one company i was at it was they they expected three to six months for onboarding they're like we're not expecting any kind of like solo productivity for like three to six months uh, because there's just so much stuff you have to learn and they would encourage pairing but it wasn't a requirement as far as the imposter syndrome goes i can speak very confidently that you can feel like you're really solid and and like really know what you're doing and you go into a a job and without that domain knowledge of what it is that you're working with or without the knowledge of their code base you feel completely incompetent my like my my mojo my coding mojo took a huge hit after the last two jobs because i felt afterwards i i felt completely like i felt like an idiot i i felt like i was uh doubting anything that i knew <laughs> like maybe i don't actually know how to do this i've been doing it for like nearly 20 years but like uh like maybe maybe i haven't learned anything at all it's definitely real and if you're starting at a job and you feel like you're you feel like you're doubting yourself like you're not alone <laughs> hit, hit me up the thing about experienced developers tend to fall into two camps so if you're a junior dev or a new dev regardless you know at, at a new organization and you're looking at these other folks and you are feeling imposter syndrome they are too that's and that's one mm-hmm. thing this article hits on is that everybody goes through that yeah you know I constantly sit there questioning am, am I learning the right new tools right now and am I giving enough time to you know educating myself to stay up to date on some of these trends and and features um mm-hmm. but ex- uh, experienced devs fall into one of two camps okay. um as far as like coping mechanisms and this this is my opinion on it but one is they know that they are having trouble with something and it, yeah. one thing an experienced dev I think is really good at is knowing when they have exhausted themselves and (laughs) saying you know what let's get some other eyes on this i'm not gonna waste three more hours hunting for a semicolon if i can (laughs) 
pull a couple team members in, look at this code, and have them help me find it real fast, or you know, find a feature or something like that. Mm-hmm. We're not afraid to ask for help, right. and that you know comes with a little bit of humility and acknowledging. Yeah, we don't know everything. We may have senior in our title, but that doesn't mean that we don't need help and don't uh, uh, feel lost sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so whenever sure. you hear a, a, an experienced dev saying that, a senior dev saying that, know that that's them having imposter syndrome, basically. But they just have a coping mechanism for it. If, you, if you're a newer developer and you find that you don't frequently, or at least with any regularity, say, I don't know how to do that, just you, you may think that you're conveying like confidence and competence, but everybody knows you're bullshitting because none of us know everything, especially nowadays. And if you don't know something, you're not doing anyone any favors by pretending that it's not a problem. Yeah. The other group um, is a, a group I call, they don't have imposter syndrome. They have expert syndrome. <laughs> These are the devs that... Hubris. <laughs> yeah, they they have no humility. And everything they do has to be right in their mind. And hmm. they can't possibly be wrong. And if you're doing it differently, you're the one who's wrong. And they don't spend the time learning new tools. They don't spend the time investigating new processes and looking for new solutions to things. They Mm -hmm. feel like they know everything they need to know. And there's a good chance that if you're a new hire, you may be replacing one of those people. (laughs) So, like, that's not the good group to be in if you're a senior developer. Okay, so so being a new person on a team is very challenging and can be very hard. But you have a gift. The gift you have is the, the newbie goggles. Every single time I've been new on a team, I am very loud about everything that I find difficult. Because chances are you're pointing out something that has become kind of like either cargo culted or they're, they just, they've forgotten that like, oh yeah, like, why are we doing it this way? We should change that. That's a good, good idea. Or just pointing out like the holes in their documentation, not to be shitty, like I not, not to be like, ah, gotcha. So when you're new to a team, those things become very big and pronounced. So use that opportunity to give good feedback to your team in a polite and kind way. You used a, a phrase there, cargo cult, and that's come up before <laughs> on the show, but for those yeah. who haven't heard it before, would you uh, explain that to them? Okay, as I understand it, when they would drop off cargo drops to developing nations, did wouldn't know that they were getting cargo drops as like humanitarian aid. They would see like this giant, you know, metal bird in the sky, and then all of a sudden a giant crate full of food and first aid and other things suddenly appears near their village. And the idea is that you don't ask why something is the way it is or like why you're doing it a certain way. You're just doing it. Like it's if you take copy past copy pasta from Stack Overflow and dump it into your code base and then it produces the desired effect, but you're not actually questioning like, well, why, why, what are all these lines for? And there might be a bunch of extra cruft in there that you don't need. I think there's a Wikipedia article for it. <laughs> we'll throw a link to that in the in the show notes. If you want to check out that article run by honeypot.io, obviously there will be a link in the show notes. Um oddly enough cult.honeypot.io. <laughs> check that out. Uh Ryan put some effort into it and it's a, a good article that I think will ease a lot of people's minds.
So this episode, we're focusing on what we would do to improve Amazon.com. We're going to focus explicitly. I'm going to I'm putting some rules on this because Amazon yeah. is a behemoth, and we could spend much more than an hour talking about this. We are focusing on desktop customer experience. We're right. not looking at AWS. We're not looking at you know media services, Amazon Video, Amazon or Music, the or the mobile app. The mobile app. We're not looking at Alexa. This is purely about like the shopping kind of experience right we're not gonna we're gonna stay superficial too we're not gonna go into any of the really deep user journeys or, or a ux deep dive because i mean some of we only have an hour <laughs> yeah we only have an hour and some of those do get really gnarly and entangled in their own ways and mm -hmm. so yeah. we're gonna be talking about like day-to-day -day experience on the site so run by themanifest.com, they've got an article there on Amazon's uh, user experience case study. And I was reading through that at one point, and I pulled a chart out of that for this to get started. It goes back to some research from t uh, 2019. They asked Gen Z, Millennials, Gen X, and Baby Boomers about sites that they view as having the best UX. And the, the one on this list is, I think could qualify which one do you think it is aaron probably youtube yeah the site generally works well i usually you know the recommendation engine on it is good the yeah. watch later feature is fantastic the subscription stuff despite the little subscription versus clicking the bell that's a little messy but sure all things being equal it's very good at what it's trying to do which is to get your eyes glued to it as long as possible i think it could be on the list Gen Zers um, said by a 24% margin that YouTube was the best. They were Gen Z was the only one that included YouTube. Mm -hmm. Millennials, Gen X, and Baby Boomers all included Facebook, hmm. which we've talked about Facebook and, yeah. and their upcoming redesign and all of the problems with it. Um, go, you can go back and check that out as episode 50-something. All four groups included Amazon. And... Huh. I was thinking about this, and because in my mind, especially Facebook and Amazon, I would not include in that list at all. In fact, I would argue that they have incredibly bad UX in many, many areas. And I think the reason why people think they are so good has to do with the Zygarnik effect, which is one of the laws of UX. That's the one that says people remember uncompleted or interrupted tasks better than completed tasks. When are you complete with Facebook? Never. Never. Facebook is designed to keep you there, keep you engaged, and keep you coming back. It's not meant to right. be finished. And Amazon, unlike most other shopping experiences, which I tend to think of as being very transactional, sure. Amazon, I think, is built in a similar way. They have designed a system that they want to keep you there and keep you coming back. All right, I got a hypothesis here. So, baby boomers up through maybe millennials were all around at a time when we would go to the mall, like, you know, the mega mall shopping yeah. mall and, and you just walk around and look at stuff and window shop, like window shopping was a thing that people did. You would drive to a place and look at stuff without actually any intention of buying anything that day. And Amazon kind of has that. Yeah. I think maybe that appeals to some of the nostalgia for the older demographics, so it's basically just like a showroom. I don't know that that's actually what's going on here, but that was the first thing I thought of. Yeah, I'm also talking about this because a lot of 
design theory, at least, you know, when you go out and read articles and stuff, they fall back to this mentality of what would Amazon do? Mm-hmm. Amazon is big and successful and sells billions of dollars in stuff, so we should follow their lead um, because they're correlating success with good design, and I think that's a big mistake. Uh, I, I think Amazon can afford to do things that most people can't. Fiona Hardwood over at Simple Usability has an article on this that gets into why you shouldn't always be following Amazon for design inspiration. I call it the Hotel California syndrome, like as a <laughs> thinking about it from the idea of like hostile design. And we're going to bring up hostile design a couple times in this. And, and believe me, Amazon uses a ton of it. Uh, but the Hotel California is you can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. That's Amazon. <laughs> Literally. Literally. Like, yeah, check out all the time and come right back and do it again. Like it's all about that process of, yeah, you're here once you're part of our ecosystem. And we, like I say, we will get into this, the hostile patterns that, that key into this. They really are trying to trap you there. And that's not the site you want to design. That is not the sort of designer or UX person that you want to be. Trust me. I started my Amazon account in 2000 because that was when I was old enough to have my own credit card. It's been out a long time. And if you want a really good overview of like the design history of Amazon, Version Museum has a really fantastic article with a bunch of screenshots going all the way back 25 years. And they've got a video as well you can watch. So if you just want some pure design history, that's a good starting point. Nice. So to get started... The first thing I want to call out on the homepage, and I would suggest either, I don't know if I would get rid of it or just make it better, but I would start with getting rid of it and prove I needed it, is the secondary mystery meat nav. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so this is what you see right below the search bar, and mine says, Pantry, customer service, today's deals, find a gift, prime video, michaelsamazon.com. Michael, you know what this feels like? Remember when we worked in higher ed and the homepage would be covered with crap that management and leadership thought users needed to see, yeah. but was not ever what they actually wanted to see? That's what this feels like. My favorite part of this this whole menu is that there's there's like a dozen and a half items on it. Browsing history is plugged right into the middle, and it's mm-hmm. the only one with a drop down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No other link in that menu has a drop-down except that one. I mean, it, it literally feels random. We criticized Facebook on this for their in their redesign and some of the <laughs> sidebar nav. That there, it was just a hodgepodge of links, and that's all this is. Look at the far right of that navigation. What does yours say right underneath cart? Mine says explore DIY and craft ideas. I'm never going to click on that. Mine said explore DIY and craft ideas earlier. Now it says watch Hannah season two. Now, mind you, I have not watched Hannah season one. (laughs) So (laughs) it would be weird of me to start at season two, and they should know that I haven't watched season one. That's a completely random, and like you say, yeah, the DIY and craft ideas, give me something useful there. Don't give me random. Random is like, I think one of the biggest problems Amazon has overall, and I think will be Mm -hmm. a consistent theme, is like the amount of random, to your point, the window shopping aspect that they try to throw at you. So to that point, right, the homepage is this collection of panels, right, Mm -hmm. when you're logged in. So the first few I feel okay about. 
they've got a couple of promos. I've got one that says upgrade to the Echo Show 8. They're promoing their stuff. I get it. But as you go down that page, I start to feel worse and worse and worse about what they're doing. Right. I had a panel that said, had an, an illustration of this little kid in a superhero <laughs> mask that said, Ryan's World on Free Time Unlimited. Subscribe now. Yeah. And all I could think of was, well, A, I don't know what Ryan's World is. I don't know what Free Time Unlimited is. I don't care. I don't watch cartoons. I don't have kids. They know I don't have kids because I've never bought kids stuff. It looked like an ad. It linked to a third-party site. It linked to a server called bs.serving-sys.com, even though oh. I did click through it to see, and it does stay on Amazon, but it's clearly an ad. It's not flagged that way. It's not flagged as sponsored or paid or, or anything like that. I have no idea why that was chosen as something that they thought I needed to see. Like, it's just, again, let's throw some spaghetti against the wall and see what happens. <laughs> I see. I see a carousel... Related to items you've recently viewed, but half of them are literally just different models of the same item that I viewed. Yeah. And then this one is, uh, get yourself a little something, and it lists, it's a carousel showing like six and then more items from my wish list. Your wish list, yeah. Which, that I, I mean, like. Yeah, like that's, like, okay, but... Those carousels, the problem with them, they've got this left-right scroll. Yeah. And they don't use keyboard navigation at all. And if you're tabbing through the page as an accessibility thing, once you're inside of that, you have to tab through, what, two dozen different things to get through it? And, yeah, I mean, obviously, if you're using a screen reader, you can always jump to the next landmark, too. But they have, in between some of those carousels, they have banner ads. And those banner ads, A, have text burned into them. Yeah, And they also have no alt attribute and no title attribute on the link. <laughs> so put the banner ad in there, whatever. But at least if you're going to do it, do it right. You don't have an excuse yeah. to not do that. The other big thing I would do on the homepage, mm -hmm. it really annoys me. Their brand footer is utterly useless. Brand footer? At the very, very bottom, you okay. see where they've got like the, the 20, 30 companies they've bought and they have links oh. to all of them? <laughs> Wow. Nobody uses that footer. I guarantee it. Nobody huh. uses that footer. That is not a useful I feature. I never even knew that it existed. Right. Because you never scroll all the way to the bottom of the page, especially right. a page like this. I can only guess that it's there for, like, robots or something. But at that point, what's, what's the point? Yeah. The, the other thing, I didn't mention it, and this is more of just an annoyance, and it'll, it'll apply actually more to, like, the search area, but... Have you ever seen, like, have you ever bought a toilet seat, let's say? Um, no, but I do actually need to buy one. So what do you got? So, so you go buy a toilet seat, buy it from Amazon, come back to your homepage, and then see the section where they're like, hey, you oh, want, yeah. do, you, do you need other things like this? And they show you 20 <laughs> more toilet seats. Yeah, that, that's that joke, right? Where it's like, we, we see that you just bought a toaster. Maybe you'd be interested in these toasters. Hey, I, do you need to expand your toaster collection? Yeah. Like, they I, uh, they don't have good visibility into, like, one-off items. Like, right. Th there are things I will stockpile and things that I won't stockpile in a, a toilet seat, a, to a toaster. I, I think that that kind of thing happens so often that I just ignore the recommendations in general. Yeah. It really hurts the feature as a consequence. Yeah. So let's go to result pages. 
Okay. First and foremost, I want to acknowledge something. I'm not going to go deep down this hole, but I want to at least say something about it. And that's the fact that third-party marketplace sellers on Amazon are an incredibly serious damn problem. Mm. Amazon is breaking themselves the way they handle third-party marketplace sellers. I'm not the only one who thinks that. There's a really good episode of, um, I think it's Reply All that went into mm. that, maybe or maybe Planet Money. Um, if I find, I'll go back and look. It's from a while back, but I'll go back and try to find it. Okay. Oh, well, hold on. Wait, let's give the context for that. So right. we also on this show talk perhaps far too much about Steve Krug's Don't Make Me Think. And that book uses Amazon as sort of like, this is a site that does good UX. Look how they did these things. Look, doesn't this make sense? And so I noted before the show that like, isn't it ironic that we're talking about Amazon in this way? Because they were touted as like great UX for so long. And I was like, when did it go bad? And then that's when you said with yeah. uh, the marketplace. When third-party sellers came in. So yeah. to give you context of that, third-party sales, and this is just, I pulled it off their wiki. Third-party mm -hmm. sales on Amazon accounted for around 31% of Amazon's annual sales. In 2016, they added, uh, or they, they aided more than 10,000 sellers um, to generate a billion dollars. The incredible ease of creating an Amazon account has led to a massive increase in third-party sellers joining the platform, with mm -hmm. over a million sellers joining in the year 2017 alone. So they launched in 2016 with 10,000. By 2017, the next year, they were up to a million. And I wouldn't even want to speculate what that number is now. That's a problem. That is... They, I mean, they basically have more third-party sellers now than they have products they service of their own. It is a usability thing. It's a business thing, first and foremost, though. So I just wanted to say that, you know, and a lot of these problems I'm going to get to do kind of have this third-party mentality at their core. Yeah. So results pages. Amazon has always been very search-driven. Right. Okay, look, I'm not saying that everybody is Amazon like I do. But when I go to Amazon.com, I will do one of these few things. I will type the name of the thing I'm looking into the search bar. That's probably my most frequent task. Or I will click on the where, where it's you're signed in and it says account and lists. I'll click on that. I will go to your lists and I'll click on the appropriate list where it has the thing that I'm looking for. Or the other thing that I do almost as probably it's the third most frequent thing, but it's less frequent in the two by quite a bit going to returns and orders and looking at past orders to find a thing that I ordered before I need to reorder. Yeah. I, I don't use anything else on the site. It's all noise to me. But when you do a search, they have a sort of single category taxonomy approach so that like if you're trying to drill down, you're forced to choose. If I'm going to pick a category, I am only able to pick one. Mm -hmm. And this makes me question if I'm missing results because frequently they show you categories that are very similar. So case in point, I did a search. I typed in kitchen faucet. I got a search results page that was full of kitchen faucets, <laughs> and I was given some category options. <laughs> Two of those category options included the clearly distinct categories of kitchen faucet or kitchen sink faucet. I'm just waiting for your search results recommendation to start being like, hey, you want some more kitchen faucets? Here's some <laughs> other ones you might like. How about these ones? You <laughs> just don't have like bronze yet. Like, I know that it's all like built by a robot, but 
I, I just love imagining that the robot is like, like, I, I have all these great faucets. I'm going to just, he can fill his house up fully with faucets. It's going to be awesome. I think the core problem here is that they're letting too much of this be generated based on keywords or something along those lines. So it, it makes me question the accuracy of the results. Because I'm like, well, if I click, click on kitchen faucet, am I going to miss out on you know, options that are under kitchen sink faucet. I don't know yeah. as a user. Like earlier we talked about the, uh, by generation, like ranking in top two UX. YouTube is, is like that too. There there's, there's so much content that they can't possibly, you know, curate it the way it should be. So they rely on like bot scripts and things and the bots aren't trained well enough. Like the AI just isn't quite good enough to really give you good Half the time, it's like recommending things like, no, like I, I see why you're recommending that to me, but no, why would I want that? <laughs> what I found interesting was that in discussing this, you and I found the same solution to that problem. All right, so I've got a Nintendo Switch, and if you know anyone who has one, they've probably complained about Joy-Con drift. I found instructions, and I got a kit to fix it myself. I went to go searching on Amazon for those, and I was like, you know, Joy-Con replacement kit. And it showed me a list of categories. And I was like, I don't know which one this would be in. Because it's not a video game. But it's also not like, you know, like electrical tooling. And, and so I had to go like one above all of those. And I forget what category it was. It might have been like electronic games or something like that. Just in general. And then I found them. But Yeah, so going up the chain, basically. Yeah. Yes. Go to the parent category, then drill back down. I hate that, though. That's that's a weird, like, workaround for that problem. Yeah. So fixing that, I think, you know, let me either let me select multiple categories or start curating them better is I, what needs to happen mm. there. I also want the ability to clear a keyword after I've searched. Um, yeah. Oh, that would be really great. Yeah, this, to use that previous example, if you search for kitchen faucet, you're given the option of having the category kitchen faucet. So if you click on that, you're now, now I'm questioning if my results are too specific because I'm mm -hmm. looking for the keyword kitchen faucet inside the category kitchen faucet. Let me, if I'm matching the category or close to it, they used to do this. You used to have a little X in the breadcrumb trail uh, on the oh, results yeah. page. Yeah. You would have a little X at the very end next to the keyword and you could click it and it would just take the keyword away but leave you there. That's gone. Uh -huh. They took it away, and I have no idea why. And the way you do it now is really non-intuitive, which is you delete the keyword from the search box and just hit enter and do a blank uh -huh. search in that category, and it keeps you in the category. But that's mm. super non-intuitive. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of that. It, it just, again, it just makes you question the quality and accuracy of the results. You know, I'm, again, worried. Am I leaving stuff out? Because they aren't right. using the one keyword that I threw in there that maybe is questionable. Huh. I want to filter. They yeah. have filters. I can I can filter by rating. I can filter by Amazon Prime shipping. Newegg is really good with that. Newegg is yeah great with this. Newegg is yeah. actually good at a lot of this stuff in particular. New, Newegg's UI reminds me a lot of Amazon when they were good, right? The one filter I want is. Let me filter by items with coupons. It's not something you come across frequently. You can get, you can get coupons on Amazon? Yeah. Yeah, if you're in, like, 
Prime Pantry, but even then, go search for Kitchen Faucets. Kitchen Faucets oh. have coupons, it turns out. Oh, <laughs> um, wow. But yeah, you can get coupons on stuff. Let me filter by stuff with coupons. Obviously, they don't want you saving money on stuff. They want you to spend as much as you can. But if the option is between making the sale and not making the sale, give me that option. Sure. Um, the feature's there, so I, you clearly present it to me. Let me filter by it. Huh. There's a really inconsistent category depth, like how far you can drill into categories in different areas. And they lack obvious filters in a lot of cases. Okay, so... That's funny that you would that this would get brought up because I remember that being one of the things Krug talked about was that, you know, when he would search for oh, he was looking for tennis shoes, I think was the example he used. And he was presented with a series of like more and more focused subcategories until he finally got to the one that had the shoes he was looking for. Yeah, the reason I think this is a failure now. And this, mm. again, goes back to the third-party thing because people are putting in all mm -hmm. these other products. It's really hard to get, like, the obvious filters. So I was looking for a home theater recently, a new home theater receiver, yeah. and I was looking for certain features in that. And I discovered that it was missing filters on really obvious technical features that all receivers have. This is, again, okay. one area Newegg excels in. Newegg, yeah. like you go in, any kind of thing you're looking for, they've got a ton of filters for it, and they they make sense. They don't overlap, and you feel confident after you've done them. With Amazon, I don't feel any of that. It's, no. a, it's a grab bag if you're looking at laptops or TVs or kitchen appliances. Like The options they give you for filters may be as limited as just color or... A lot of times it's like just an other category where they've thrown some keywords on it, like randomly. Their their mm. filtering is trash by <laughs> any standard, I think, at this point. And the fact that it's really inconsistent makes it hard to use because you never know if you'll have what you need. I don't want to be like, like, I completely agree with you. The only defense I can see there is that they are trying to sell everything ever. And the incredibly like massive amount of, of it's a product that is, I mean, naming things in computer science is hard enough already. Naming things or categorizing things when you have an unbounded set of products that you don't have full control over, that's a really hard problem to tackle. Right. But again, but when they went maybe off the they rails, could just not do that. When, yeah. When they opened up the <laughs> ecosystem, they went off the rails. They lost control. Yeah. So here's another really good example of this. If you go in, especially like into the, like the pantry area, um, yeah. I'm a big fan. Like if you go to the grocery store, a lot of times the price tags will have like, this is $5. Oh, that's, yeah. that's, you know, 13 cents an ounce or something. Right. I love that. I love being able to break down pricing, especially if I'm looking at buying in bulk. And I'm like, well, I could buy a six pack for $10 or a 25 pack for, you know, whatever which one is cheaper per ounce or per unit they offer this the thing that drives me nuts and i think that's what you're about to bring up with amazon is when you have a few different product lines but like one of them will be like oh yeah these uh this six pack of pepsi is this many like cents per ounce this six pack of pepsi is this many cents per can 
right. six pack of Pepsi is this many cents per per one hundred. I've seen that before. Yep. Like nobody is buying a hundred. Yeah. That's that's exactly the problem. You can go into like and like I say, the pantry area is really bad about this. Where you'll see in the same search results, some items are priced per ounce, some are by count, some are mm-hmm. by unit, and it's all over the place. And that's you know. You say it's like hard to do the filter thing. This is something that would be stupid easy. Yeah. You know, in fact, you could just give all those as options. You know, what's the price per weight, per, you know, unit and per item. That inconsistency and not giving me the ability to change it. You know, maybe I want to price it per item instead, you know, per count. Maybe I want to price it per ounce, uh, whatever. But give me that option to switch it and and display it the way I want to display it and make sellers put it in. Uh, don't leave it up. There's one item I was looking at. It was a 12-pack that was $38, and it's also listed at $38 account <laughs> because it's being considered one item the way they entered it instead of it's a so pack ridiculous. of 12. It's, yeah, it's <laughs> such a stupid backwards way of going about it. I want review sorting fixed. Well, you can, you can sort. You know, oh, when review. you go into your... Yeah. Got yeah, it. review sorting. So yeah. saying, you know, sort by average customer review. If you have an item with one five-star review, it gets listed ahead of the item that's got an average of 4.9, but 1,843 reviews. <laughs> to me, that one reviewed item is not rated better than the 4.9 that has, you know, thousands no. of reviews. No, certainly not. There's no, there's but, no, the confidence interval is very, very narrow. Yeah, they are sorting it by absolute score, and this is really problematic if you're looking at something like a, a good example would be like a cell phone case. You want to find a cell phone case. Oh. They're cheap. You've got millions, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. I don't know. A lot of these third-party vendors flooding, especially the cell phone case category. Yeah. And so you get all of these listings that are super, super high rated, and then you have to go 12 pages deep before you get to like the 4.9 rated, which is usually because most people don't necessarily rate a solid five. You get a right. span, so you roll off that number a little bit. That to me is really frustrating. Yeah. I would I would add some kind of heuristics to that to weight the scores within reason based on the number of reviews they have also gotten. I would does does Amazon put the uh sponsored items up front too? Yes. Oh, it's, I hate that. Really, really hate that. Newegg okay. does that also. I find I, it really annoying. That's what I get. I I wouldn't say they should change it. Like as far as like orders of eh, bad things. That, man. But... I like I I will go out of my way to avoid just on principle. I'll avoid anything that's in the sponsored area. I just refuse to even look at it. <laughs> <laughs> like fuck them, man. <laughs> so their review or not review their uh, results pages are so broken that when you go if you scroll down right beneath the pagination. They have yeah. had to commit a section that is literally titled "Need Help." <laughs> I don't think I've ever been on another ecom site that's like, "Yeah, our our uh, results <laughs> yeah, are so broken <laughs> that we need to give you a help section underneath." Right. Them. That feels like a really astonishing admission to me. I would get rid of that. <laughs> I would absolutely get rid of that. Just beneath that "Need Help" section is where they start packing in like all of the. Explore more. Here's stuff related to what you've been looking at. Here's your browsing history. I would mm-hmm. lose all three of those sections and get rid of them, <laughs> at least on search result pages. 
I could see it if you're browsing. If you're just clicking into categories, I could yeah. understand leaving that. But if I'm searching for kitchen faucets, I don't need to see anything else. You know exactly what I'm looking for. So that is just taking up additional space as far as huh. I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, I would lose the whole section, make the page a little bit shorter that way. And so here's where another hostile design uh, alert comes in. Yeah. On results pages, and again, Newegg does this right, you cannot do price comparisons. You can't select items and say, I want to, and not just price comparison, but feature comparison. I can't compare these items like, okay, I'm looking at three microwaves, or let's keep the metaphor going. I'm looking at three kitchen faucets. Let me select those three kitchen faucets and look at them side by side, Apple's tablets. You can't do it on Amazon. Um, And they will show you, we'll talk about this in a second. Well, we'll talk about it in a second. Let's go to product pages. Right. The first thing that jumps out to me, and I don't know if you have this, Aaron, on product pages in the mm-hmm. like the pricing area on the right-hand side. Okay. I have a button that says Add to Wedding Registry. I do not have that. Oh, you don't have it? No. Huh. No, not that it, I'm looking at Amazon right now. I do like not see Like under the Add to it. List? I see Add to List. Um, and you don't see I Wedding see Registry. Add to Gift Options. I see Add to Cart, Buy Now. Um, offer to sell one on Amazon. But yeah, I don't see anything else, though. Interesting. I see an add to wedding registry button, and I don't know why. <laughs> I've been married 11 years. I'm not getting married again. Um, That's like that like toaster We thing had a again. wedding registry at one point. <laughs> we, yeah. we saw that you bought all these like wedding things you know, uh, a month ago. We saw you ordered one wife. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> you need to order another. But uh, Now, I did at one point have a wedding registry, but I got rid of it. I deleted you it or closed it, whatever. And if you click, I clicked the button to see what it would do, and it took me to the Create a Wedding Registry page. Like, I'm, I have no idea why I'm seeing uh, Add to Wedding Registry. They know I'm <laughs> married at this point. The next thing that I see that I just think needs an overhaul is image carousels. Like, just in general? or Like, yeah, the, the whole product image area? Yeah. I hate it. Yeah. The thumbnails are tiny. They have no, like, image spec. So if you ever looked at something that had, like, a tiny image, and then you clicked on it, but it was still a tiny image. Like it didn't zoom mm-hmm. in or anything. There's, there's no like size requirements apparently, or like that area really just needs an overhaul just <laughs> all the way around. I don't, the whole float and it shows you the zoomed in thing on the right is kind of, I don't know, very old feeling at this yeah, point. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. I could definitely see that. There's okay. This is maybe one of the biggest things on product pages you have like the masthead right mm-hmm. you get the title the gallery price like quick details yeah then they have three giant rows frequently bought together four stars and above sponsored products related to this item all before you get to the product description yeah that that so the fact that it's before the product description is wrong right that that feels very wrong yeah. I expect the product description and product information things to be like at the top. And then I do expect those recommended, recommended things. And to be completely honest, the frequent bought together isn't a bad thing. That, that one actually feels like that's a good, good robot. Right Give there. it to me once I'm adding it to my cart. Yeah. Yeah. That would be all right. Yeah. Don't sneak it in. Like that's yeah. one thing that Amazon is good about. They don't like sneak stuff into your cart, but right. If I'm not buying it yet, then I don't care what's frequently bought together. Right. 
but putting it all before the product description is just monstrously annoying. Um, the descriptions themselves are also incredibly inconsistent. There's, again, no real standard to them. If you look at, like, a really yeah. nice item from a big vendor, they've got these beautifully designed, detailed descriptions with graphics and, and layout and all of this. And then you click on an item, and it's, like, one sentence. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's worse than, like, looking at stuff on eBay at that point. Clearly, they're expecting people to just be shopping by image or by name. Like that you already know what you're looking for. You're just looking for the right thing. So here's something, though, that's, that immediately jumps out at me, too. Um, mm -hmm. I'm looking at this description from the manufacturer, and all it is is an image. It's a giant image layout. So, again, text, everything, invisible to a screen reader. No alt text. Huh. Giant poster board uh, product description, though. I wonder how often Amazon gets sued for 508 issues. Not nearly enough. Yeah. Photos in the reviews. You were talking about reviews. You know that you can users can upload their own photos. I you say you go to like read negative reviews. I like mm -hmm. looking at user photos because it means they actually yeah. have the the damn thing. Yeah, um, that's good. But the photos aren't keyboard navigable. I can't sit there and use oh. like the right arrow to flip through them. I have to physically click constantly, and uh. that's minor. But it yeah. is really annoying because I'm constantly thinking, oh, I'll just hit the arrow, and I forget, oh, yeah, I can't use the arrow here. <laughs> the last thing I would do to a product page is give me price alerts. I want um, a price alert feature. You mean like when the price or something changed? Do you, like, I get that, I thought. Yeah. Well, oh, no, you, the wish list. Yeah, you'll get it. Or no, for, in my cart. In my cart? You, yeah, you'll get, you'll get in your cart. It'll tell you when an item has changed. Okay. On your wish list, it will tell you if the price has dropped since you added it. Okay. You have to go looking for those things, though. Oh. On the product page, it, the the eighty dollar kitchen faucet. Let me yeah. say, tell me when it's seventy five dollars. Yeah. And again, I know why Amazon doesn't want to put that kind of feature on a product, but at the same time, tools like Camel 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 exist. Yeah, I. So if you don't know, camelcamelcamel.com is a third-party tool, they basically track the price of everything on Amazon. And mm -hmm. you can go in, you just give it the URL or the the uh, ISAN number or whatever it is um, mm -hmm. of the item, and they'll show it to you, and they'll give you the entire price history of it. And you can see, hey, it's $10 off on Black Friday usually, so you can put in your price alert, and they'll email you when it drops. Beautiful. <sighs> That's cool. So the last area that we want to touch on just briefly is the account experience. Because if you are buying from Amazon, obviously interacting with your account is something you'll do often. Mm -hmm. um, and you had mentioned that. That's one of the top three things you do, Aaron. You said yeah. was you, you go to your, your account to go to your wish lists. Right. First and foremost, I think the landing page for accounts just needs overhauled straight up. Yeah. It is such a wall of text and links. And while, yes, they are categorized and they, are, they have headers, it's so dense and there are so many options that are competing for attention. I don't want to sit there and read through everything. Let me filter it or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's um, to go to Hicks Law from the Laws of UX. The time it takes to make a decision increases with the number and complexity of choices. So even yeah. if you've got them there and they're categorized and paneled or whatever – 
you've got I don't even know how many links are on that account page. It's <laughs> several many. dozen. Yeah. It's it's too many options. And so I always end up hunting when I need I had to deregister an echo device recently and there is a section for manage content and devices, but it's this tiny link under the digital content and devices header. And as I was scanning, the only thing I kept seeing was manage content. My eyes, as I was scanning, was not picking up manage content and devices. Huh. So I would, I would over, I would do something. I'd, I would do a card sort with people. I would sit down and I would figure out a way to address this. You know, they're very search driven. Give me, you know, a box that says, what do you want to do? And throw some of your AI genius at it and let me type in, what do I want to do? I want to manage my echoes. Cool, you want to manage devices. Here you go. That would that would be great. I Or just treat it like Google does. Oh, I, I think it's kind of what you're just suggesting right there. You know where this actually works well? And I said we weren't going to talk about AWS, but if you use AWS, you may be familiar with how um, all, because AWS has a ton of oh, God, like, yeah. components. <laughs> and they have a search bar. And you type in, you can type in, I, I need S3. I need access to oh, yeah. I need access yeah, that's to true. CloudFront. And then yeah. as you've done that, they keep your most frequent stuff at the top yeah. of that list when you click into it. And that would that's be all super right. smart. Like, yeah, that, that would be a good start. The next thing to go back to the uh, point from the previous section, mm -hmm. I, want, I want price alerts. I want alerts when something on my wish list is on sale. Don't just tell me something is 17% off. Like it does that in your wish list. It'll tell you, well, it's dropped 17% since you added it. That's great. I like knowing that, but send me an alert and tell me like, that's marketing. That's not even, you know, UX, you know, type design stuff. That's just marketing to say, you know what? Give me alerts from my wish mm -hmm. list. Steam does it. Yeah. When steam sales go <sighs> on, where steam <laughs> games go on sale, Annoyingly reliably, yes. <laughs> well, yeah, it can it can get old, but let me control it. Let me, you know, say on these yeah. items, send me an email alert if the price drops or something like that, um, or if it drops by more than ten percent or something. But this is just like sell your stuff. You have all of this information on what I want. Sell it to me. Um, right. Let me help you sell it to me. Let me tell you when I want to see it. The last thing we're going to close on this because it just feels incredibly appropriate. The one hostile design, it's it's not – like if you go to darkpatterns.org, this one is not explicitly uh, mentioned there. But make it easy for me to delete my account. Yeah. I know a lot of people feel very strongly about Amazon, and I'm not going to get into the politics of it or the business of it. A lot of people just don't like Amazon, and that's fine. And if you want to get rid of your account, we'll have a link to an article from NordVPN that explains the multi-step incredibly uh, arduous process you have to go through in order to delete your account. But it is there, uh, and <laughs> that is absolutely hostile design. They are, it's the casino mentality, the Hotel California mentality. They are trying to keep you locked into that environment. Um, uh -huh. And that is really sin number one as far as I'm concerned. So yeah. give me a big button and say, here's how you delete your account. Let's be done with it. I will say the the NordVPN article mentions that they they send you an email with all of the services and side effects of deleting your account. Wow. They yeah <laughs> they try to shame you into staying basically. 
So what would you do? Let us know. Shoot us a, a message or something and, and tell us what you would change on Amazon.com to make it better or, or what features annoy you the most. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. This is just a sampling. Like this, We spent an hour talking about something that literally could go on all day. Mm-hmm. So we just picked a few off the top that were like very superficial but would be quick quality of life type changes. So I'd love to hear what you have to say. The Drunken UX Podcast is brought to you by our friends at NewCloud. NewCloud is an industry-leading interactive map provider who has been building location-based solutions for organizations for a decade. Are you trying to find a simple solution to provide your users with an interactive map of your school, city, or business? Well, NewCloud's interactive map platform gives you the power to make and edit a custom interactive map in just minutes. They have a team of professional cartographers who specialize in map illustrations of many different styles and are ready to design an artistic rendering to fit your exact needs. One map serves all of your users' devices with responsive maps that are designed to scale and blend in seamlessly with your existing website. To request a demonstration or to view their portfolio, visit them online at newcloud.com slash drunkenux. That's nucloud.com slash drunkenux. Everybody, thanks for dropping in with us tonight. Like I said, I'd love to hear what you have to say. If you have any thoughts or opinions on how you would improve Amazon, I'd love to hear it. And and, um, if if you want to be successful, walking in Amazon's footsteps is not always the right way to go. So check out some of the links we'll have in the show notes and uh, go out and be successful. Be sure to drop us a line at uh, Twitter or Instagram. Or no, sorry, Twitter or Facebook.com slash DrunkenUX or Instagram.com slash podcast. Or come by and chat with us at drunkenux.com slash discord. Hey, and a shout out to the guys over at uh, Thought Feeder Podcast. That's Joel Goodman, who has been on our show before, and John Steven Stansel. Hi, Joel. Hi, John. They've got a uh, show on higher ed digital marketing. So I know it's very niche, but uh, I, they had me on their latest episode, episode number 17, if you want to go check it out. Um, I talked about a lot of the do less better mentality and while we (laughs) geared it towards higher ed um i think there's a lot of advice there that applies regardless of your industry um and that philosophy of do less better applies pretty much anywhere i will say i I, joel is great i'm uh, he's a good friend and he has uh his his instagram feed is awesome he does some amazing stuff with bread um but if you are a social media person you gotta follow john J-S-S-T-A-N-S-E-L on Twitter. Um, he regularly posts like really great content about doing social media marketing. A-, a lot of it is like griping about how tedious and annoying it can be, especially right now. But he, he posts good content though. He's definitely worth following. Yeah, so check them out. Um, they are at thoughtfeederpod.com or jump on wherever you listen to podcasts. And as for us, same deal. If you want to leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts we appreciate it it helps us out uh it only takes you a second to hit the like button or the the rating button and if you feel like writing a review even better but you do what you feel comfortable doing because it all all of this is just to say you know whether you're trying to improve the way you're designing e-commerce whether you're looking for ways to do less better the best advice i can give you each and every day is keep your personas close but your users closer bye-bye no, it can't be